we will do much on the show this week, but I must start here. My member of Congress, we just found out, is guilty of many cases of adultery. That gives us occasion for many discussions on this week's Corey Act Show. We will not be unduly salacious. We will not be crude or raunchy. Uh, last week, I had to spend time criticizing, quote, folks on the right for their general raunchiness. This goes a whole other level, it seems, with my member of Congress. But this gives us an, an opportunity uh, to, to to ask ourselves what should happen in these cases. Uh, and there's some of it that's actually quite difficult, some of it kind of easy. We'll do that. I have a lesson from church recently I want to give you. I got to speak to a group of young people, or I'm, as I'm talking to you, it's a it's an event tomorrow night uh, about how to be a Christian and a, a conservative-leaning person in the culture. I'll tell you what I'm going to tell them if I have time at the end. Uh, Glenn Beckham Mormon had on a Catholic, and man, that was just a mess, a mess of a discussion. And if we have time at the end, I want to play some clips from it. We better get started if we are going to have time at all. Welcome to the Corey Act Show, wherever you find podcasts. I'm glad you're here. Amongst many other things, I get to serve the people of Beechwood Church as their pastor for teaching at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You are invited. We'd love to have you out uh, on a Sunday morning, but also just all the various things we do. If you get involved, I love, love our small groups and our meals together. We do, we do lots of things. And so if you're looking for a church home, you are invited. Beechwood Church, 1030, Sunday mornings. So here, let's just start with the facts. Jeff Duncan is my congressman, has been since 2011. I voted for him in November of 2010. He was then sworn in and started serving now over 10 years ago. A guy that I think seems to be in favor of things like term limits, but just kept running and obviously kept winning. This is a, a very, very red district where I live in Pickett's County. His wife filed for divorce. I hope you can tell in my tone the severity and the seriousness by which I take this. Uh, Divorces, adultery, they are severing a body from itself. We say in wedding ceremonies often what the Lord put together, let no man pull us us under or, or separate. We talk about a one flesh union. Marriage is one flesh Two, become one. And therefore, if you try to remove one from the other, you are doing something as severe as a amputation of a limb. This, this should feel like death. Divorces are supposed to be, in our mind, that serious. It is the reason why, in Old Testament law, the penalty for adultery is death. We, we take it to our modern day, that treason against your own country, being a traitor, in our Constitution can even be punished by death. Like Benedict Arnold-level treachery, you can be killed. It's that same thinking about adultery in the, in the old law. The country, the governance, the unit that you are to be most loyal to is your family, your spouse. It is high treason to commit adultery against your husband or your wife. And the congressman that represents me is apparently guilty of that more than once. Right now, it's it's certainly it's allegations in a divorce document. Divorces get ugly. People lie. But the reporting in the Daily Mail UK, 
the reporting in the New York Post, has... I, I wouldn't be telling you this if I didn't think there was enough evidence to say it's true, that there's a lot of contemporary testimony that Duncan has pursued other sexual relationships and seems to even maybe have been in other relationships, like carried on long-term romantic entanglements with women that weren't his wife. Those are the facts. So what should be? Well, I wrote him a letter. I made it an open letter. It's on my website, CoreyTruax.com. CoreyTruax.com. If you click podcast and blogs, it'll be one of the first things you see. It's called an open letter to my congressman. I won't read it to you. But in short, I say to him two things. One is repent. Ongoing pursuit of adultery is sign is a sign that your soul is in peril. If you can carry on that kind of gross sin and and not be convicted about it and want to change, it is a sign of danger. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. Your soul, Congressman, is in peril. So one call is repent. Go pursue your wife. Leave the leave the attention of every other woman. Do whatever you can. You might have broken your marriage beyond repair, but go try. Go dispute the divorce. Be faithful to your wife. Love her well. Pursue her well. Pursue reconciliation. Repent. And then second, related to the first. There is nothing more important than rescuing that marriage for Jeff Duncan. And therefore, he needs to resign. You know, we used to say that was very normal for someone found to be committing adultery. You don't get to lead anymore. That is a sin that makes you morally unqualified to be in leadership. That's always been the case in the church, but we, when we were a more Christianized people, we would we would make that the case for politicians. It was the case in I mean in smaller town situations, if you were a leader of a school, if you were a leader of a of a local organization, you were found to be committing adultery, you couldn't lead anymore. You're not morally qualified. And so to do what you need to do, to repent and then pursue your marriage, Jeff Duncan should resign from Congress. Apparently a lot of what allowed this adultery is being in Washington while his wife is here in South Carolina. He, I wrote in the letter, run from Washington like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. Get out of there. Just get out of D.C. Get home to your wife. Especially with, because of our, the governor here, Governor McMaster, Jeff Duncan will be replaced with someone who will vote the exact same way. It's not like there's a, a political consequence. That, that shouldn't matter. Even if there was, it, he's not qualified. And we should all care for at least, I think, two things. We should care about his marriage because marriage undergirds everything. A Good marriages under good, good, sorry, under good, gird, good, who? Under gird, good neighborhoods. Which, un- which are then the, the basis for good communities and counties and cities and then states and countries. But without marriages, without families, the first fundamental unit, we can't have those things. And so what should our heart be? We want to see that marriage saved. And he can't do both. You're not going to be able to be in Congress 10 months out of the year and save this marriage. Go after the marriage. We, we should want that. But then also we should want this. We should want the object lesson for our kids. Here's a man who had power and prestige and respect, and he has lost it all. 
he, he's had to, in shame, resign because adultery is that serious. He doesn't get to be in these powerful places anymore because of this adultery. We need our kids to see that. We need the community of men and women who are in struggling marriages. See powerful people, see leaders so value marriage that they neglect their passions, they neglect their careers and their fame and acclaim, and they choose their marriage over everything else. We are a long way as a culture from inculcating the value of marriage in our people anywhere close to what it once was. But a resignation by Congressman Duncan can be a start of it right here. And I think that's exactly what he should do. He should step down, repent, and pursue his wife. I've, I'm, I'm one of his constituents. I make that call. If you happen to be in the 3rd District of South Carolina, I think a kindly worded email, Facebook post to his, his wall with, with just those short points. We love your marriage. We want it to work. And we think that it's, it's very important for our community to know that this behavior is not acceptable. And so your resignation is for the good of your entire community so that husbands and wives know how big of a deal this is. Now, that's Jeff Duncan. Something more broad that I'm interested in your thoughts. I'm interested in your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax, or you can also send me your thoughts at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. For that matter, you can comment on the website blog there if you want to do that at CoreyTruax.com. So I wondered about this Christian dilemma, though. We live in, where I live, in a R plus, is it 29? I think it's an R plus 29 district, the registration numbers. So it's basically impossible for a Republican to lose a general election in my district. But the reality here is he's probably not going to resign. So let me run the scenario for you. He's not going to resign because we've just decided adultery is not a big deal anymore. I think it's a. I think we got to the spot where it's just everybody does it, and so we're not going to punish leaders because we don't want ourselves to be punished because everyone does it. I think we are in that. So we are. We as a culture are somewhere in the book of Judges. In the in the book of Judges, the the beginning. Well, I guess the theme, the whole theme is, uh, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody's just doing whatever they want. And so we don't want to see judgment in high places because then that means we might be judged by that same standard because everyone just wants to do whatever's right in their own eyes. So Christian Dilemma. Don't, let's, let's say this isn't Jeff Duncan. Let's say this is one of those four Congress people that just won seats in upstate New York. And they are crucial. They are crucial to Republicans having a majority. I hate that these are our two options, but that that's the the party that's going to have a little bit better worldview, a little bit better outcomes. Their their majority is at stake. Do you the the Christian looking at someone who is in ongoing adultery, divorcing his wife, unrepentant, show up and vote for that person, be, or or do you withhold your vote? I mean, I would certainly never tell you to vote for the opposition. But do you just look and say no? And, and you're saying then to the party that provides candidates, we, the Christians, we can't do it. You're going to have to nominate better candidates if you want our support. And then you, you let that seat 
go to somebody else. Now, I get the argument. The argument is, uh, so you're, are you telling me my options are a personally unrepentant, ob, the re- real deep sin that's not, but I, I think by continuing to vote for it, you uphold it, you say to those around you that this is not that big of a deal, this brazen act of rebellion against God is oh, it's not a, well, maybe it's, we're, we're saying it's okay. Maybe we are saying it's okay in relation to this other person who may not be cheating on their spouse, but I, actually that, that softens it too much. Uh, not cheating. Let's use adultery. Not committing adultery against their spouse, but they're positionally unrighteous. They're, they might not have the same personal unrighteousness. They, I'm sure they have personal unrighteousness, but now they have positional unrighteousness. They their worldview is anti-biblical and would pursue all anti-Bible things. And so to stave off the person who is maybe not as publicly, personally immoral, but will pursue public policy that is immoral, do you show up and vote for the absolutely disregarding candidate, the one that disregards God's law and makes a mockery of it around marriage? You can probably tell where I stand. I don't think I could vote for him. Now, that's, that takes very little courage from me where I stand, right? Because he's never going to have an opponent that could beat him. I'm asking a hypothetical question for the Christian who actually does end up in that situation. I mean, I, I would argue that's part of what 2016 and 2020 are when it comes to the presidential election. Someone who's just personally, morally, abjectly terrible, just a terrible person I mean, that rejects God's ways in his own, in his own life. And then you have positional unrighteousness on the other side. What do you do? I'm willing to hear thoughts out on any of that. You're listening to the Corey Truax Show. If you do want to give me an opinion on that, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, look for me, Corey Truax, or write to me at Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com. We, I don't know how, we just keep coming back on the show over and over again to how Bible, the Bible's laws, Old Testament, Old Covenant laws, are good, and they have wisdom for today, and we're just going through the, the process of endeavoring on how to apply those laws in the, weir- in, the, in the real world now, and sometimes it is weird. We've talked a whole lot about, uh, what, one of my favorite examples is that requirement to put a parapet on your roof so that if people come over and you're having a meeting on your roof, they don't fall off, because if they do fall off and your negligence, because of your negligence and they suffer injury, then you're going to be held accountable for that. Uh, you probably haven't fallen off anybody's roof, but there you might have experienced the analog for that. Someone's negligence, someone's recklessness in a car accident or maybe because of something that happened at work that maybe you've been hurt. And the consequences of that have been injuries and lost income as you couldn't work. The medical bills pile up. You're just trying to recover. And while trying to do all that, you are trying to navigate th- the process of getting justice from someone's negligence and how it hurt you. I don't want you to be intimidated by that. Don't be scared of it. There are people to help you. And the one I want to point you to right now is an attorney here in Greenville. He's a personal friend of mine. His name is Samuel Harms. You can Google him at Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S, as in 
keep out of harm's way. His number is 864-666-6666. He is Samuel Harms, attorney at law. Don't do these things alone. I know you need someone on your side when you're working through being hurt because of an accident, being hurt at work, or something like that. Samuel Harms is here in Greenville on 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. His number is 864-6666. So if you have been hurt, uh, I guess the, the analogy, if you have been hurt because someone was negligent, they didn't put a parapet around the roof or whatever the analogy is for you, give Samuel Harms a call. He w- he can help you out. Uh, don't try to navigate it alone. Give Samuel Harms a call, 666-6666. I think where I want to go next is what I'm going to say to some young people up at North Greenville University who invited me to come speak to their Young Americans Foundation group. They asked me last year, and they've asked me back again this year. It's a small group, maybe 30 students in a room. This is the much smaller version of what you'll see on YouTube when a Ben Shapiro or a Matt Wall shows up at a college campus, and there's a 1,000 people there, and they give a speech, and they'll take questions. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a speech, short one, and then maybe take some questions and discussion. Last year when I showed up to them, I mostly just tried to show how a lot of American ideology was rooted in Scripture, how our structure of government is often rooted in biblical thinking. I tried to give them that background. This year, I think what I want to do is uh, it's three parts. And I, should, I should give you some context. In the, years, in the year that has come between when I last talked to them and now, and it's been about a year, I can, I can just feel it in myself when I get to talk to young people how my mind has changed. I, I still, excuse me, I now just live in a world where I really do imagine the grandkids of our toddlers at Beachwood Church. Our infants and toddlers, when I see them walking around, I know that they're going to have grandkids on this planet one day. I'll be long gone. I want a good world for them. And I look around at the world I'm in, and it does not seem hopeful that it's going to get better. It, it seems like the world I'm in, my culture, just my Western culture, the post-enlightenment culture has seemed to have run its, its cycle in that it might have to crash and burn. But when it does, I want to know that we have prepared young people to be part of the effort to rebuild it. So now when I'm about to talk to a room of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, that weighs heavy. I, I want them to know, how do I rebuild this thing if it falls apart or when it falls apart? So here's the things I'm going to tell them. It comes in three parts. Know your roles and responsibilities. Know what you can get and live with the long view. Those three things. Know your roles and responsibilities. Know what you can get and live with the long view. A lot of what I'm about to say, I've said on the show before, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to go pretty fast on purpose. I also suggest it's worth it if you have a teenager, a young person that you have influence over, telling them to listen to the next 10 minutes or so. It might be worth it for them. So number one, know your roles and responsibilities. I'm specifically going to say to them, don't, don't pursue, don't know mostly your rights and your dreams and your aspirations. Your roles and responsibilities are more important than your rights and your dreams for the future. I feel bad for these kids. I feel bad that they grew up when they did. Their entire culture lied to them. The culture lied to them and said, be your truest self. You will find happiness there. Be, and be true to yourself. Be your truest self. Find out who that is. Be true to yourself, and you will be happy. 
and we're into we're in we're years into that now and it has been destructive. If you are truest to yourself, if you pick yourself over everyone else, you will be miserable. Your meaning is not found inside you. It isn't that Trevin Wax paradigm I gave you a few weeks ago. I'm going to say to them, if you focus on you, you will be miserable all your days. Yes, it is sin. That's important. Yes, it doesn't honor God. That's good and it's important. I also want you to know functionally and practically, you will suffer. You'll be miserable. The way you know what you need to be doing and pursuing in the political world is first look upward and ask God, what are we? What am I? What am I here for? And you'll start to learn that you're a man or a woman, and then eventually a husband and a wife and a father and a mother. You'll learn what it means to be a good neighbor. If you look up first and know the image of God on you and the image of God around you, and then you'll look around yourself. And you'll know who you are because you'll know, I'm that woman's husband. And that means I have some roles for her. I have some responsibilities to her. I'm these children's mother or, or excuse me, father. So I have a role to play. I have some responsibilities to fill. I look around at my, my neighbors or my siblings, my parents, and I know I'm that person's son or neighbor or cousin or brother. And so now I know that's my roles, so I've got responsibilities to them. And before I think about my rights and what i got to have or what my dreams and aspirations are, I need to know who, who, what are my roles that I'm filling, what are the responsibilities I have to others, and I want to pursue that. And as I pursue that, I will actually have a deep and abiding understanding of my inward self and who I am because I have fulfilled my roles and responsibilities. And I'm going to tell them, I can do it at North Greenville University, your guide for that is the first five books of the Bible. For you to know your roles and responsibilities, become an expert, not just the pastors, not just the preachers. Become an expert at Genesis. Become an expert at Exodus and Deuteronomy. Become an expert at those first five books. You'll find that what you're here to do is take dominion. Take dominion over your household first. You're going to find that part of that then is don't do what the siren song of the day is. Don't delay marriage because you want to pursue your best self in your single years and you want your 20s to be free. Don't do it. It's a lie. Go, Go after a spouse because marriage is good. Have a kid or two. Link yourself to eternity. Link yourself to a legacy that you would Add life to the world. Take dominion over what you've been given. You know how much bigger that is than get to six figures with your salary? Do you know how much bigger that is than buy a house? It's so big. Take dominion over what God has given you. That's your role. That's your responsibility. And as you work that out, if you'll stay in those first five books, you'll learn a lot about politics. You will. You learn that private, excuse me, that property is private. It's not communally owned. But man, if you own something, you better be a good steward of it. If you own stuff, you better be generous with it. Yep, there is private property that God gives to his people. You'll learn that political method message. You'll also learn the people that are entrusted with things are to be generous with it. You'll learn that charity is an absolute must. That if ever this system does fall apart in all of its, we should take this seriously. Again, I think some of my people that I listen to that are theonomists, they say these things without enough compassion sometimes. Let's say this federal government system falls apart and one of the 
I'm trying to think of that. What's the program for kids? Like the WIC, WIC thing? Is that WIC for, children, for babies? It falls apart, and young mothers, unfortunately often young single low-income mothers, because of their image of God being violated by a man who got her pregnant and left, is not taking care of his responsibilities and his roles, she's just left without? Like, we, we got to know. Charity will be a must. If you've been given stuff, and you got a neighbor in need, man, you you got to be you got to be quick to have your finances in order. It might mean that you can't live lavishly because you're going to have to be ready to help as a world rebuilds into systems where everyone has a father and everyone has a family to lean on because right now we don't live there. But if I just keep reading about what my roles and responsibilities are going to be, I'll know yeah, Property is private and wealth is private and I better be a good steward of it because I'm going to need to be charitable and giving to those around me. If I just keep reading, I'll know about politics. I know that power is supposed to be distributed. But the family is the fundamental unit of government. And the church has its role. The government has its role. All of them have a role. We're not supposed to be abolishing government. And we need to restrain it and put it where it's supposed to be. But yeah, you'll, you'll learn your roles and responsibilities. If you just keep reading, you're actually going to learn some political lessons like people are a resource. They're more than that. They're made in the image of God. But because people take dominion, we need people. We therefore want them born instead of aborted. Now, this one will be a little controversial for, for this group, I'm sure. This means we want some of them immigrated here. This means when you have a good culture, you want to share it. You want to responsibly and thoughtfully with assimilation Bring more people in to enjoy what you have because you need their creativity and you need their perspective. You'll know your roles and responsibilities if you just become an expert on the first five books of the Bible. And you know what you'll have if you do that? You'll have an enduring movement for human flourishing, a movement that can go on for the many generations it's going to have to to get where we're going to go. I believe it's going to take, it shouldn't have to, but I think it will have to take many generations. And if we don't do it from a Christian perspective based on these first five books, I don't think it will be enduring. I think it will have some progress and then it will fall apart. So here's another controversial part then. So therefore, you're not going to get there, Christian, if your primary guides are Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Matt Walsh, and I think his name is something Reuben. Ben, yeah, Ben Shapiro is going to be an expert on the first five books, but ultimately not a Christian. We got, he's going to get some stuff wrong. Jordan Peterson has got one of the most confused spiritualities I could think of. Matt Walsh is a, is a Catholic. He seems to be the closest to some of this thinking. The guy from the Rubin Report speaks some of this language. That guy is in a homosexual marriage. These cannot be the intellectual figures to lead the movement that will actually lead to enduring renewal. It must be biblicists. And that's going to have to be us. I just thought of an example about this. I, I was talking with someone recently about it. Oh, yeah, we did, we did that on the show. I'll keep that short then. I think about Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate ends up becoming a leader somehow on the right because he identified the problem. He doesn't even know where it comes from. Like He has identified the problem of diminishing masculinity and femininity trying to replace masculinity in the two roles, the two sexes not playing their roles. He couldn't quote you from Genesis anything about that. He just 
the, the image of God in him, the law of God written on his heart, even though he's not a believer, we, we all have the law written on our hearts in some ways. He knows this is wrong. And so he had the right definite, excuse me, the right diagnosis of the problem, and then has all the wrong solutions. And we we can't build movements on people that just kind of get the the problems right. We got to have the right solutions, and those are going to have to be Bible people. So number one, we got to know our roles and responsibilities. We will be happier and more fulfilled, but it will also lead to enduring flourishing, an enduring movement. Number two, then, if we know our roles and responsibilities instead of our rights and our dreams and aspirations, then two, we got to know what know what we can get. Too many commentators and too many politicians take advantage of you who are listening to me right now. They take advantage of people by promising grandiose possibilities that they cannot deliver. And people believe them for whatever reason. They believe these politicians and leaders can deliver on things they can not deliver. We have to be careful not to do that. Be, be realistic. Know the ultimate goal. Know the goal, but know that you're only going to get part of it. For example, my generation, we overturned Roe. Praise the Lord. I don't think in my lifetime all 50 states are going to end the practice of abortion. But it might be my boy's lifetime. And if it's not them, it might be their kids. We might be the generation, when I'm, a, when I'm in my oldest, oldest years, we might finally get to a place where we do away with no-fault divorce laws, where we will recognize the day you're getting married, you are entering into something that's going to be very hard to get out of because it's the fundamental building block of civilization, and we got to quit doing it to each other. we got to quit wrecking kids' lives by just parents getting bored with each other, getting mad at each other, and getting divorced. we got to stop. We might get rid of no-fault divorce laws in one generation, and then it's the next one that really starts to see the the reinnervation of respect for marriage. It'll be a different innervation that's excuse me, be a different generation that sees marriage again defined as what it is, one man and one woman. I don't think it's gonna happen in my lifetime. But we gotta know what we can get and go for the things we can get, knowing my third point. I'm going to live for the long view. We are a long way from a good world. It took many decades to ruin it. It took many decades for the fundamental parts of Christianity to be weird in our culture. It took about 80 years. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Our great-great-great-grandkids can finish what we start if we'll just be faithful and teach them the truth and make sure that they teach their kids the truth and make sure that they have the tools to be faithful. That's that's largely what I'm going to say to them. We, you, you, they, they asked me to come talk about being a Christian conservative in politics. I'm not going to talk about budgets. I'm not going to talk about immig- well, I guess I did talk about immigration there a little bit. I'm not going to talk about 2024 elections. This is what I'm going to talk about. Do you want to make the political world better? Follow Christ. Know your role. Know your responsibility. Fill it. Get what you can get while you're here. And prepare the next generation to get what they can get while they're here. Live this life with a long, long view. 
that you're just one part. You're connected to the history, but you're connected to the future. And you play your role faithfully while you're here until the Lord calls you home, and then he works with that next generation. All right, that's what I'm going to tell them. Uh, looking at the time, I probably only have time for one more, and that's the one I'll do. Yeah, this I'll just I'll recommend it. If you're going to go watch Glenn Beck talk to a Catholic for an hour and 20 minutes, it's kind of an interesting conversation because this Catholic, he's apparently blowing up. Something Marshall, Taylor Marshall, something like that. I just said Taylor Marshall, and I'm basically positive that are, that's just two brands of guitar amps. So one of those is in his name, Taylor or Marshall. can't remember which one. But I had no idea. He's got one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Excuse me, in the country. Some kind of Catholic guy. Um, he definitely sounds Christian nationally, like Christian nationalist type. I think in Catholicism they call that an in- integralist or an integrationist. But to hear a Mormon and a Catholic talk back and forth, you just there's a lot of good content there. They're, they're all, they are dancing around the truth sometimes. Actually, I probably will come back later and play. Glenn Beck is appalled that this guy's not a universalist. I didn't know I didn't know some Mormons were, but Beck is appalled that this Catholic won't say that Mormons are Christians. And by the way, Mormons aren't Christians. Going to salt toss that out there. All right. Actually, you know what Mormons more likely to do? This is this is a, I have a wife that watches true crime. Here's what Mormons seem really apt to do. Kill their spouses. I'm telling you guys, man, it's it's every fifth or sixth true crime we watch. It's a Mormon. I want to know, not the rate of divorce in Mormons in, in the Mormon world. I want to know the rate of spousal murder for the Mormons. It's gonna be higher than the Baptists and the Presbyterians, all right? It's it seems an oddly large amount of Mormon marriages end in murder. All right, that's just a side little rant there. Uh, that I've just noticed watching a lot of true crime. Last thing I wanted to give you. We did a hard sermon Sunday. As we go through the law and the gospel, we are tackling some of the, the harder laws. I think in the future, we might be tackling those conversationally in small group settings instead of in a sermon format. I think I, I, I think I prefer that. It'll, it allows for immediate conversation and reaction, but uh, we went through slavery. Our lead pastor did a very thorough job of that. It would be very hard to come away from that sermon accusing the Bible of having terrible slave laws. If you just listen to that content fairly, you cannot come away from it condemning the Bible's views on slavery because, I mean, it condemns outright the American version of and you really, you really learn that what we have imported to the word, word slavery, that it, it's hard to, that the English word is now hard to, it's hard to use in those contexts. I don't know if we should change it. I'm not telling Bible translators to stop using the word. I'm just saying that it's, it's hard to know what, what I, what you think the word means your whole life, and then you realize, oh, there's like, this is like a homonym. There's lots of other definitions to this word, and there are condemnable like condemned by death versions of doing this slavery thing. And then there's other versions of this same word that we wouldn't even put near the same category. So it, it's, it was good, it was thorough content to, to, well, to do a lot of things, but that was one of them. But I had one thought. In part, there was a, a portion there about one of the ways slavery was used was restitutional for crime. So someone does damage to your property, they can come work for you. They're enslaved to you. They can't 
they can't walk away. They, they do now owe it to you. They owe their labor to you until they've paid it back. It seems like that was given like sentences of years, be six years. You try to bring that into the mo- modern analog. I thought about my family, our household, H- what that would look like and how that could be different than our system and w- how much more beauty there could be. Uh, right before we got married, my wife's car was stolen. Best we can tell from Greenville County Police, they, they wouldn't give us the names because they said it was juveniles. So teenagers stole her car. From the neighborhood they found it in, here's just the statistical likelihood. The teenagers who stole this car are probably fatherless. And they're going to get whatever punishment they get which is probably probably not much of a punishment, but let's say it was being put away for some time in a juvenile detention center. All that happens is they get around to other probably fatherless people and they don't learn any better behaviors. I know that's true. So what is this passage telling me? What would be better? This hit me hard. What if the system would have been that these two, I think they told, yeah, they told us two. These two father, likely fatherless teenagers, bad parental situations. They send them to me. And there's rules that says, Corey, while they're working off their debt to you, the thousands of dollars of debt, because they didn't just steal the car, they wrecked it. There's a bunch of rules about what I, I, I cannot, I cannot violate the image of God on them. But because they are young people made in the image of God, they deserve honor and respect while they work off their debt. But what if they would have had that time? So I don't I don't have ill will towards them. You're telling me that they need to work for me, let's let's call it a month or something, get get them to learn some work ethic? That I might be able to teach them how to be men? That I might be able to place just as they restore to me what they have done, but that I might have an opportunity? To say to them, this these behaviors you're engaging in, of course they're destructive. They were destructive to me. They're destructive to you. And you don't need these behaviors. You're made the image of God. You are worth more than what your culture is telling you you are worth. Can I, can I do some things while we're here, while we're teaching you to work? Can I teach you some things about work ethic? Can I teach you some things about affirmative gratification? Can I now take this opportunity because you're made the image of God and I made the image of God and I don't want you to do this stuff anymore and I want you to have a flourishing life. Can I have the opportunity to try to help you not do this again to anybody by using all the privileges I've been given because I swim in privilege? Can I help you? Is that not more dignifying and also better for those young people than to just put them in a room for a while? There is some beauty here. It's hard to see sometimes. You know, I, t- I told you we were going to be going over more laws in the Old Testament. I still intend to do to do that and come back and do it in this format. But I'm t- I'm just I am telling you for all my theonomy people as we struggle through it. I don't mind admitting yes. Sometimes it's the the law is hard. It's why it takes it does take meditating on. That's why we've got to be patient for those that struggle with it. Because it's not obvious. And, and even even in other cultures, it wouldn't be obvious. It's, there's some hard parts it takes dwelling on. 
and let's be patient with each other. Be patient with yourself. Uh, but let's let's pursue that. God's law is good, always is, and we want to be people that embrace it. So, yep, we'll end it right there. Um, I'll be back with more content next week. If you have thoughts you want to give me, it's Show at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. Look for Corey Truax. I'll be back next week with another new edition. Until then, everybody, peace and love.